morning, NCC. You guys doing okay this morning? So good to be here with you guys. Uh, I am stepping in for the, uh, the original, the greatest, the legend, the one and only Pastor Aaron today. And uh, we asked for your prayers. He reached out to me yesterday. He's dealing with uh, some health issues and was trying to tough it out. And this morning at 6 o'clock, he made the final call. And I said, I'm stepping in. I'm going to do my best. And I know that our church is going to back me up and just give me some grace today, okay? We're coming off of a talent night that we did yesterday. And if our leaders, yeah, it was amazing. If our leaders look kind of like we're out of it, we're running on coffee and energy drinks right now, okay? I'm not going to lie to you. So uh, we are in a series. This is week two of Don't Take the Bait. And didn't Pastor Sarah do an amazing job last week talking about one of the traps that we fall into is more money will make me happy, right? And we talked about when we get to a certain level of income, there's always that next level. If I get here, then I'm going to be happy. And when we get there, if I get here, then I'll be happy. And, And it's just this constant chase going after something that never truly satisfies. And it reminded me of something that Dave Ramsey said one time. He said, money is a horrible master. It's a great servant, but a horrible master. And she did such an amazing job last week at showing us that money in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's when we allow that to become our God and what we run to to satisfy us. And that becomes a trap many times. I need to work more. I need to uh, make more money. I need to add more to my bank account. And we're just on this constant chase. And today we're going to talk about worry will fix it. Worry will fix it. Now, let's be honest this morning. How many of us have fallen into worry and anxiety at some point in our lives? How many of us are dealing with that right now? Okay, I appreciate your honesty. I'm with you 100%. I actually had to preach this message to myself this morning when I found out I was going to speak. I was like, do not worry, okay? Let me pray with you guys. Father, I just thank you, God. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word today, Lord. We know you're in this place, God, and where your presence is, God, there is freedom, Lord. And so, Father, we declare, God, that as we go into this message, God, freedom will happen, Jesus, that you will give us insight, God, that you will open up our minds, God, to see things differently, to have perspective, God, on the current problem or situation that we're facing right now that may be bringing worry, God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the words that you're about to give me, God. I pray that they penetrate the hearts of your people, God, so that we be transformed from the inside out. We trust you, God, and we lay everything at your feet this morning. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Worry will fix it. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking right off the bat, like, who would believe such a dumb thing? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. And we won't say it out loud but we live in such a way that if I worry more, it's going to fix the problem that I'm currently facing right now. That if I stay up longer, if I don't get enough sleep, then I'm going to fix whatever situation right now that I'm dealing with, whether it be at work, whether it be financially, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a physical issue. We don't say it, but we live as if worry will fix it. But worry is a trap. If you're taking notes, because note takers are what, guys? Thank you. (laughs) If you're taking notes, write this down. Worry is a trap. Now, we have to define the difference between anxiety and worry. Anxiety is a feeling of fear, of dread, and uneasiness. It may even cause you to sweat, to feel restless, to feel tense, and even have a rapid heartbeat. 
It can be a normal reaction to stress. It becomes our default setting when we're dealing with a difficult situation. For example, you may feel anxious when you're faced with a difficult problem at work. Your heart starts beating fast, you start sweating, you get tense, you feel restless, you can't think straight. Some of you can understand what I'm saying right now. Or students, you may feel that way when you're about to take a test. You start to feel that anxiety. Oh my goodness, what if I don't pass this test? What if I don't make it to college? And it just takes you down this road. Or maybe before making an important decision. What if I don't make the right decision? What if I mess everything up? What if I make this purchase and it ruins my whole financial situation and now I have to take years and years and years of trying to catch up because of a bad decision that I made? Worry, on the other end, is to think about a problem or fear. To feel or show fear and concern because you think that something bad has happened or something could happen that is bad. That's worry. So we sit there and we just have it running through our minds. Man, what if this happens? What if that happens? You ever been in the shower and you put yourself in different scenarios and conversations? And you're like, man, before it even happens, I'm already having an argument with somebody that doesn't even know that they're going to have an argument with me. Right? And then you walk out of the shower angry. And your, your family's like, what's up with you? Don't ask me. Like, I just had an argument with someone that doesn't even know they argued with me. I love what I heard uh, about worry the other day. It says, worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. It doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It just empties today of its strength. And that's what worry does is it takes something from us that we were never meant to give it. And if we're not careful, we become trapped by our anxiety and our worry. It becomes a trap, and we find ourselves even at times self-medicating. When I'm anxious, when I'm stressed, this is what I run to. For some of us, is I eat more when I'm stressed or I'm anxious. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're stressed and anxious. You have no business going to the pantry, and you're just sitting there like, what can I eat? And you just start grabbing candy. You start grabbing chips, and your stomach's like, what are you doing to me, right? For some of us, getting real with you guys, when we're stressed or we're anxious, we can run to pornography to self-medicate. For some of us, we run to alcohol. And for others of us, what we do is we like to shop. We like to spend money. Man, I just had a stressful day at work. Let me just go and just swipe the card. And you know what happens is I realize this, is that it's self-medicating, then I take the action, and then it goes to guilt and shame because I'm ashamed of the decisions that I just made. I spent all that money at the store, and then it starts all over again in this constant cycle of trying to self-medicate because of the worry and anxiety that we're trapped by. Now, I love something that we've embraced as the church as a whole, not just here in New Community Church, but in more recent times, we've brought more awareness to mental illness. We've brought more awareness to the fact that anxiety is a problem, that worry is a problem. And before we go any further, I want to establish something that if you deal with anxiety or worry, that does not make you less of a Christian. That does not mean that you don't have enough faith. One of the best decisions that I've made in my own personal life is to go to counseling when I was at a low point because I couldn't process what was going on in my mind. And Debbie, in that time, put it in such a perfect way. She's like, it's almost like you have a tangled ball of yarn that you just need to start detangling. And that was a perfect image that she gave me. I was like, that's exactly what I need right now. 
So before we go any further, we are establishing the fact that just because you struggle with worry and anxiety does not make you less of a Christian or that you don't have enough faith. Can we agree with that? Let's move forward here. So struggling with worry and anxiety. We're about to read the story of Elijah. And before we read what we're, we're going to go into in 1 Kings chapter 19, let me give you some background. This is before Christ was here on the earth in the Old Testament. And Elijah is a man who fell into the trap of depression. He fell into the trap of worry and anxiety. And after we read the story of Elijah, we're going to fast forward and talk about how Paul addressed worry. But Elijah here in the story is a prophet. He was a person who spoke the word of God to the people. People were going back and forth in that time between worshiping Yahweh, our God, and worshiping false gods like Baal and Asherah. Those were two false gods. And so Elijah calls out the evil king Ahab at the time, and he tells him, hey, let's see which one of our gods will show up. And Elijah, one man, listen to this, stands up against 850 false prophets. It's estimated that 450 of those prophets were for Baal, and 400 of those prophets were for Asherah. So this is what Elijah says. He says, hey, we're going to prepare a bull, and we're going to set it on an altar. And whichever God lights the bull on fire, you can't light it. We have to pray to each other's God, and whoever does it is the one true God. So the prophets of Baal go first. And the Bible says that hours after hours of them chanting and dancing around and doing their ritual, nothing is happening. And I love that the Bible shares these kinds of details. It says that Elijah started to taunt them. And he says, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe he's gone on vacation. Maybe you need to scream louder. And these guys started to scream louder. And they got to the point of desperation that it says that it was their custom at the time to start cutting themselves to the point where blood was flowing. Nothing happens. And then Elijah steps up, he prepares the bull, and not only that, but he gets 12 jars, or has people get 12 jars of water and start soaking everything. Now, you and I both know that if you want a lot of fire, the last thing you do is to get water on wood. Can we agree with that? But he was taking it that step further to really prove that God was the one true God. He says a simple prayer fire comes down, it says that it consumes the sacrifice, the stones, the wood, and it even licked up the trench, the water in the trench. I love that it says that because when God does something, he doesn't do it halfway. He goes all the way, right? Victory happens, and you can think that's a perfect ending. Let's stop there. Yay, Elijah, he won, and he walks off into the distance and goes into the sun, and we never hear from him again, but that's not what happened. The Bible says that King Ahab, an evil king, went and told his wife, King Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, you guys have probably heard that name, right, be used for different reasons, mainly when it's talking about an evil woman, right? He goes and tells her, and she says that, it, the Bible says that they got so angry, and she says, whatever he did to the prophets of Baal is exactly what I'm going to do to him tomorrow. And this is what we're taking uh, over right here in 1 King 19, verse 3. It says, then he was afraid after seeing this happen. And he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He ran for his life and came to Beersheba. What just happened, guys? He's on this mountaintop experience and now he's running for his life because of the threat that Jezebel brought to him. It's estimated that where he was and where he ran was about 100 miles of running. That's a long way of running. 
And my mind works in weird ways, but when I read this, I pictured the part in Forrest Gump where he starts running and his beard is growing. That's what I pictured, that when he got to that point of running 100 miles, he's got this long beard, long hair, and everything. He's been running for 100 miles. If you're taking notes, write this down. There's four ways that we can fall into the trap of worry. The first thing, and we see it in what we just read, is when we're running on empty. We fall into the trap of worry when we're running on empty. We run ourselves to the ground. We create schedules that are chaotic and we're busy. And we can even take pride when somebody asks you, how was your week? And we say, it was busy. It's almost like this badge of honor. My week was busy. And then we wonder why we feel depressed and we're anxious when we're running on empty. See, when you're tired and you're running on empty, any problem can paralyze you. If you've been there, you know exactly what happens. It's not even that big of a deal. But because you're so tired, because you're so drained, it causes you to say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And you just shut down and start to panic and start to freak out. Why? Because we're running on busy. So if we're running, if we're running on empty, if we're running on empty, then the question is this, is are we taking care of ourselves? Now you guys, if you've been around NCC long enough, you know how bad or how big we preach about Sabbath here. It's taking a 24-hour period where we shut down, we don't do anything else, we contemplate God, we rest, and we do things that bring fulfillment and enjoyment to our lives. And my leaders, my students know that on Sundays, they can go and play basketball. Well, what am I typically doing on Sunday afternoons, guys? Napping. Napping. <laughs> and I will fight for that. My wife knows that. We got up this morning, I said, I'm going to take a good nap today. Now, for some of y'all, that does not refresh in you. That does not make you feel more energized, but it does to me. And as much as I want to play basketball and as much as I love my students and my kids, if I am not resting and I'm running on empty, then I won't be effective for the rest of the week. So I have to fight for that time. And notice how I said fight, because it's not going to come natural. Something or someone is always going to try to take your time. And you can always give your yes to something or someone. But if you're giving your yes to something or someone, you're telling something or someone no, and usually it's the most important stuff that we need. Are you running on empty? Are you taking care of yourself? Here's the thing. If we're led by culture, culture will always praise a busy schedule. But take a look at where that's taken us. Stop and examine of where that's taken our culture to live on a busy schedule. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, you're going to be sleeping sooner than you thought because you're running on empty. Elijah has this mountaintop experience, and instead of resting and recovering, he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs until he's on empty. Number one way that we can fall into a trap of worry is when we're running on empty. The second way we can fall into a trap of worry is when we isolate ourselves. In 1 Kings 9.3, we see that he left his servant there and he ran. Now, his servant was not some random guy working for him. This is someone that he had a strong relationship with. And you see in multiple parts of Elijah's story throughout the Bible that his servant pops up. This is someone that was close to him. And one of the biggest lies that the enemy will tell you when you are at a low point is that you're alone in this, that no one understands you, that you're the only one dealing with this. This is exclusive to you, so don't tell anybody. A while back, we had a message in NYC, and we talked about that. It's the power of confession is specifically we were talking about pornography and how it's this thing that, that causes the enemy will tell you, don't tell anybody because if you tell them that you're struggling with this, they're going to look at you different. 
But that also applies to worry and anxiety. We can pretend like we've got it all together and we're smiling, but if we start to let people know that we are dealing with worry and anxiety, how will they look at us? And I shared with them that one of the things that I've applied and have have continued to grow in is letting stuff out and letting people in. Letting stuff out means that I confess to the right people, not just anybody, but to the right people, the people that I know are on my side, the people that I know are with me, the people that love me. But I'm letting people in as well and saying, I can't do this alone. I need your help. The enemy wants to trap you and make you feel alone, and the problem is that eventually worry starts to feel so heavy. You know why worry feels heavy? Because you weren't never created to carry the problems of life alone. We need people around us to say, hey, you look like you're losing strength right now. You look like you're weak. Let me pray with you. Man, how many times has prayer done something for you when someone just comes and just says, let me pray with you? But we find ourselves in isolation many times when we're dealing with these things. Guys, we are not new isolation church. We are new community church. We need community around us, people who can lift us up and raise our hands and remind us of who we are when we've forgotten. Because we will forget. And the enemy will lie to us many, many times. We need others. So we find that we fall in the trap of worry when we isolate ourselves. Another way that we can find ourselves falling into the trap of worry is when we focus on the negative. Everybody say, focus on the negative. And we see this in Elijah's story. He starts to say things like, everyone has left me, I'm the only one, and then he goes even further. If you read it, he asked God that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, Take away my life. I am no better than my father's. Side note, I am so thankful for the times that God has not answered my ridiculous prayers that prayed in low points of my life. Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about. If people knew the dumb prayers we prayed when we're at a low point, we'd be like, really, bro? You really prayed that? I am so thankful, God, that you did not answer my prayer in my low points. But he's finding himself in this situation He just had a mountaintop experience, and he saw God move in a powerful way, but he's lost focus of that and is only focused on the negative. What are you focused on right now? Where's your attention going to? Have you ever noticed that when you're at a low point, you have an extra sensitivity to negativity when you're at a low point? This is how it works in my life, and I don't know if this is how it works in your life. I go to work. I'm already tense because of something, and I say something to someone, and it offends them, and I'm beating myself up about it. And instead of going and immediately asking for forgiveness, forgiving myself, and asking God for forgiveness, I let that just linger. And then what ends up happening is I'm driving to my appointment, or I'm driving at work, and then all of a sudden, this thought comes into my mind. When's the last time I took Debbie out on a date? It's been two weeks. You are such a horrible husband. How dare you take two weeks and not take her on a date? And then what ends up happening is, how long have you been working this week? Man, I've been working a lot. When's the last time you spent time with your kids? Man, it feels like I haven't. Dude, really? You're that bad of a, husband, uh, a father? And then lunchtime comes around, and I go to Chipotle, right? Shout out. And I get my bowl with chicken. Shout out to Alexis. I pack it with guac and, and cheese and, and salsa and the corn and everything that I like in that bowl. Let me get the chips and the lime topo chico too. That'll be $14, $14. I swipe my card and I'm like, dude, God's blessed you. 
You're a bad steward of your money. Look at this. You just spent $14 at Chipotle. What is wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with that, but that's how it works. And before you know it, you start to think God's not happy with me. He's given up on me. What a mess I am. We have an extra sensitivity when we're in our low point, and we have to be aware of that because that's when the enemy attacks and he moves in. I can't control everything that happens to me, but I can't control what I give my focus to. I can't control everything that happens to me throughout the day, but I can control what I give my focus to. So we can find ourselves falling into that trap of, neg- of, of worry when we focus on the negative. And the last way that we can find ourselves falling into the trap of, of worry is we forget God. Elijah forgot that God had shown up for him, that he was with him. And fear caused him to forget that God had just done an amazing thing in his life. Guys, do not allow your emotions to be the determining factor on whether God is with you or not. Because one day my emotions will be up and the next day they will be down. But instead, remind yourself of the truth of the word of God and stand on that. If I depend on my emotions to tell me whether God is with me when I feel him or when I don't, then I'm going to have a roller coaster type of relationship with God. Contrary to what your emotions may be telling you, let me remind you this morning that God has not left you. That he's with you that he's right by your side. If right now you're facing a dark moment and you don't know how you're gonna get out of it, the rapid heart beating you can relate with, the sweating you can relate with, the sleepless nights that you've had this week, can I tell you right now, hear my voice, this is God telling you I have not left you. I'm with you. I am present with you in whatever situation you're facing right now. So how do we get out of ourselves or find ourselves getting out of this trap that we find ourselves in when we hit low moments and when we're uh, consumed by worry and fear? Paul gives us insight to this in Philippians 4. And I'm going to read the message version because it's more of a paraphrasing uh, version, but I love the way that it puts it. It says in verse 4 through 5, celebrate God all day, every day. Everybody say celebrate God all day. Er day. Not every day, er day. Thank you. It says, I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Celebrate God all day. Write this down. Focus on God is how we start to get out of that trap. Put your attention back on God. Celebrate God all day. Don't just limit your time of worship to a morning devotional. Do it all day long. Right? The enemy doesn't just attack you in the morning. He attacks you all day long. I need to be meditating on his word day and night. I need to be worshiping in the morning, in that afternoon, and in the evening. You see that all throughout the Bible. It doesn't just say do your morning devotional and the rest of the day will go great. But we celebrate God er day, all day long. So you focus on God, number one. Number two, focus worry into prayers. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, do not fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Everybody say pray. Pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. 
Here's a practical example. A big task is given to you at work, and instead of worry, God, I thank you that you're with me right now. God, I thank you that you've given me the strength. There's a reason why this task has been put in front of me, because you have equipped me with what I have or what I need in order to accomplish this task. You're getting ready to make a financial decision. God, your word says that if I lack wisdom, I can ask you and you give it to me abundantly, God. So right now in this moment, God, I'm asking for wisdom, God. Help me to make the right decision when it comes to my finances. And if I don't, God, thank you for the grace and the forgiveness that you've extended to me, God, to keep moving forward. Students, if you're getting ready to take a test and the anxiety and the stress starts to come on you in that moment, God, I thank you that you're with me. I've done my part to study. Don't pray for God to help you if you haven't studied, by the way. I've done my part to study. I remember those prayers, right? I have not studied one bit. But God, if you help me this one time, I promise you I'll go to church every Sunday. Y'all know you start doing packs of God. But God, I've done my part to study, and I thank you, God, that everything is coming back to memory, God. I thank you that you're giving me a peace and a calmness right now that as I'm taking my test, God, my mind is not consumed by stress. My mind is not consumed by anxiety, but God, there's a peace, and I can focus on what I'm answering right now in Jesus' name. Some of you, remind yourself of who he is. The name Elijah, which we just read, the reminder that he needed was found in his very name. El means Elohim, which is God. I implies this possessive nature, or he's mine or my. Jah was the Hebrew form for the name of God, which was Yahweh. And because of the holiness that was found in that name Yahweh, they wouldn't even pronounce Yahweh in that time. It was just syllables that sounded like breath. Jah. Everybody go, Jah. Here's what we need to be reminded of. My God is my breath. My God is my sustainer. My God is my source. My God is my strength. My God is my healer. My God is my provider. What do you need to be reminded of this morning that your God is in your life? Because the reminder that you need is closer than you think. Focus on the solution, not the problem, is the last thing here. Focus on the solution, not the problem. Philippians 4, 8 through 9, it says, summing it all up, friends, I say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, on things noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. I love that. Do you guys know that studies show that we spend 16 hours awakened every day? Or we're awake 16 hours of our day. Well, 1.8 hours of those 16 hours, we spend it in negative thinking. Things running through our minds like, why didn't I get invited to that? Things running through our mind like, When am I going to get this together? I'm such a mess. Things running through our mind like, why am I not in a relationship? Why isn't anyone interested in me? What's wrong with me? Why am I so dumb? Why am I so stupid? How come I've gotten passed up for this promotion once again? Why do I keep making these bad financial decisions? And there's nothing wrong with reflection. We need it in order to make changes. The problem is when we fall into this trap of beating ourselves down and we're devaluing the very thing that God calls beautiful, which is you and I. 
We are creating the Imago Dei, which means that we are creating the image of God. We are image bearers, but yet here we are, 1.8 hours of our 16 hours that we're awake, just beating ourselves down and making ourselves feel bad. And Paul reminds us to think about things that are good. Not every thought that comes into your mind is made to make your mind is meant to make your mind its home. Let me repeat that. Not every thought that comes into your mind is meant to make your mind its home. You can't stop the thoughts from showing up, but you can determine whether you let them sit on the couch, put its feet up, grab a snack, and turn on your Netflix. So what do you need to do this morning? What do you feel the Holy Spirit is telling you? Maybe for some of you, you need to say, you know what? I haven't been thinking about what I need to, what I've, I haven't stopped to think about what I've been thinking about. Maybe you need to start tracking your thoughts and saying, God, what are the thoughts that are occupying my mind? And then find scripture to replace that. Practical step. And I'll end with this. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. You know what the behavior and the customs of this world are? Worry and fear for the most part. But Paul says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Transformation is a process. Don't stop because you see negative stuff popping up. Keep running to him daily. Every moment of the day, submit your thoughts to him and replace it with his truth. Wage war against your mind, against those thoughts that keep bringing you down. Don't be passive about it because negativity isn't passive. We got to fight back and stand on the authority that God has given us and remind ourselves that we are warriors and we have the authority to take these thoughts captive. That's a violent term as I'm bringing it down and I'm submitting it to God's truth. So let me pray with you guys this morning. Father, I thank you, God, that you have spoken, Lord, and I believe that you've given insight, Lord. It's uncomfortable to see the areas of our life right now where we're dealing with worry and anxiety. But you're not beating us down, God. You're not here making us feel worse, Lord. You're saying if there's a problem, there's got to be a solution, and that solution is found in me. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's anyone in this place right now that you're saying, you know what, one of the reasons why I know things are the way they are is because I've been calling the shots. I've been Lord of my life. I truly don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning and you say, you know what, I want to start a relationship with God through Jesus. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died for us. That he stepped in in our place between us and a holy God so that we could have a relationship with him. If that's you today, just pray this prayer after me, if everyone can join. Say, Jesus... I give you my heart. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe that you defeated death. I ask that you lead and guide me. I submit myself to you. I make you Lord of my life. Give me the strength to obey you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give it up for anybody that's made that decision this morning, whether here in person or online? And let me just pray over you guys as we head into the week. Just because you heard this one time doesn't mean that it's going to fix all the problems that we're facing. But we need to be reminded of this. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bring up things that God has spoken to us.